Welcome, pool guys and gals, to the Let's Talk About Pools podcast, where your host, Lauren Broom, will take a splash into many topics in the pool industry to educate all aquatic professionals. Listen in, and you just might be surprised what you'll learn. So let's jump right in. Hello, all my listeners to the Let's Talk About Pools podcast. And today's episode 35, we're going to talk about proper pool startups with Ken Westfall, technical director from National Placers Council, or MPC. So this is a very awesome episode, especially for those of you that are doing startups and you're getting customers through um, doing startups for pool builders, but also if you are involved with resurfacing as well. So this is a great conversation that he and I had, and um, I hope that all my listeners will enjoy it as well. And I also want to say thank you to my two awesome podcast sponsors today, Skimmer, Pool Route Software, and Pool Parts To Go. They're a new podcast sponsor today. So I want to say thank you for joining the Let's Talk About Pools podcast as a podcast sponsor today. So please listen to what they have to offer and they're helping continue education through the podcast. So thank you very much to Skimmer and Pool Parts to Go. And let's jump right in to this episode so that you can learn about proper pool startups using techniques from the National Plasters Council. So enjoy hearing my conversation with Ken Westfall. This is Skimmer, software for the modern pool professional. What can you do with Skimmer? See all your customers on a map, build service routes quickly, and let Skimmer optimize them for you. Access customer information, including contact details and full service history, anytime and anywhere. Customize work orders to track jobs like repairs and filter cleanings. Email your customers when you complete a service. You can include service details and on-site photos. Does your customer need a part? Add it to the shopping list and track it from purchase to installation. Skimmer will even remind you what parts you need for the day, and you can mark them as installed right when you're finished. Skimmer doesn't just store your service history. It helps you get paid. We integrate with QuickBooks Online for fast, easy invoicing. And we've got more billing options coming soon. All that's just the beginning. Go to GetSkimmer.com to watch our demo video, check out our online tutorials, and see if Skimmer is right for you. Welcome, everybody, today to the Let's Talk About Pools podcast. And on my episode today, I have Kent Westfall. He's the Director of Technical Services with National Plasters Council. I've been waiting to have him on my podcast. Uh, This is a great episode. You guys really need to listen into this one, all my listeners. So, hey, Kent, how are you? Good, Lauren. I... uh... I'm glad to be here. This is a great honor to be able to uh, reach out and uh, talk with some more people in the industry. So we do appreciate it. It's a great honor to have you on. And I have to say, when I first got into the industry, I never even thought about new plaster or startups or anything like that. And I think the new listeners, this will probably be a wealth of information for them. Um, And maybe even for existing companies, they may get something out of this that they didn't know. Well, back when I started in the industry, we didn't know anything about starting up pools either, uh, but it's progressed. We've, uh, we've learned a lot. The NPC is um, um, 
developed a startup program that is well accepted and it, uh, it works well to uh, ensure the, the proper beginning, if you will, for a new finish in a swimming pool. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, Kent. How long you've been in the industry, and what got you here? And well, I uh, my family moved to uh, Southern California in 1969, and uh, I was excited because we we were moving from Nebraska, and uh, we were moving into a house with a swimming pool. That's exciting. It was exciting until I found out who had to take care of the pool. <laughs> that was me. So early on, I was um, taught somewhat how to um, how to take care of a pool, and um, I learned quite a bit of uh, uh, what the wrong things were to do. I learned that quickly. Um, then in the year 1974, I started working for a company called DMAR Baron Pool Plastering. And uh, I was taught how to plaster pools. I started at the very bottom, um, just doing uh, labor work, getting pools ready for plaster. And then uh, worked my way up uh, to where I was a finisher. Um, learned from some of the very best people. Uh, but even then, we did not have a full knowledge of uh, water chemistry and how it affected finishes. So <clears throat> in 1978, I moved out to the desert, um, worked for a company out in the desert that uh, they were very busy, but uh, the uh, owner had some issues. So the company was soon to close. And I could see the writing on the wall, and I started uh, started my own business, plastering pools, uh, doing remodels specifically, but some new construction. And uh, that was a learning experience there, just uh, um, how to run a business, how to take care of the employees. And so then from there, uh, went from doing just white plaster, colored plaster, and then we started installing Pebble Tech, which um, <clears throat> we had uh, one product line in three colors. Wow, we got way more than that now. Yes, we do, and <laughs> it was it was quite a learning experience because we uh, we had to deal with the slurry. And um, when you're doing Pebble Tech, you're washing the surface to expose the pebble, and that cement slurry has to be dealt with. Uh, long story short. Um, the way that we were taught to deal with that slurry was not going to work here where I was working. Uh, we were digging holes in the, in the backyard and burying the slurry and that's just not going to work here. So a friend and I developed a system for slurry removal. Um, it was a vacuum system with uh, everything we created ourselves from scratch, the rollers, the handles, <clears throat> the manifolds, the tank, everything. Uh, you were an you were an inventor at that point. I see a lot of that in this industry, so that's not one of the first times I've heard that. It's awesome. Yeah, and it it worked well. <clears throat> and then um, I uh, eventually closed the business. Um, that was in 2011. I had about 35 employees at the time, and uh, it was it was difficult to let them all go. But uh, 
it was something we had to do because the underground economy was uh, rampant back then, and it was difficult to to maintain a uh, a business. And I um, worked for a couple of different companies uh, in the interim. I uh, also started working on reverse osmosis trailers, which we used to uh, purify pool water. Uh, we actually created drinking water and uh, the, the membranes that were used in the trailer were certified, NSF certified to produce drinking class water, but drinking class water is not good for pools. So we had to rebuild the water chemistry uh, in the pool once we were done filtering. And uh, it was, that was a real eye opener of a, of a business for me because I learned an awful lot about water chemistry, how to remove a lot of stains in pools um, and how to rebuild water chemistry correctly. Made a few mistakes, but uh, that's part of learning. And it uh, ended up with uh, Greg Garrett and I had known each other for many years. There's a, there's a name. Yeah. That's, that's a name in the industry. Yeah, Greg was, um, he was the best at uh, water chemistry and how it affected uh, plaster. And he uh, started teaching me how to do uh, inspections. And um, I flew back to New Jersey for a class and he made me stand up and he introduced me to everybody. This guy flew all the way out here from Palm Springs, California to take this class. And um, Greg and I then uh, started teaching classes together. He had me learn how to teach the startup class with him. And I worked with him and Shauna, his wife, um, learned an awful lot. I mean, every time the guy talked, I, I would learn something. And eventually he had me teaching portions of the class and then it morphed into teaching the whole class. <clears throat> and then uh, I've now gotten to the point where I'm doing inspections as well with my business. Um, when something goes wrong with a finish, I'm asked to come in and analyze it and uh, try and do it in a nice way. But it's it's always difficult when you're calling out somebody's work. Oh, uh, I know. I was an inspector on my end for 17 years, and people don't like it when you're the person calling out stuff. Yeah, it's, it's wrong. It's hard. So you have to be very, very careful in how you do it. Um, and then, of course, Greg passed away, and uh, uh, the NPC asked me to uh, to take his position. <clears throat> and I had to think about it for a while because I knew it was going to take up a lot of my time and it was going to pull me away from home. So I talked it over with my wife, and she says, absolutely. And so I'm now the Director of Technical Services for the National Plasters Council. Um and I do inspections through my company. And I also um, do inspections for the contractor state license board. And I attend arbitrations. And uh, it keeps all, all you, it keeps you busy. It does. As director of technical services, I answer the phone calls. We have an ask the expert program and people call in with problems that they're having with uh, a finish, whether it's, six months after, six days after, six hours after. It doesn't matter. There's, there's issues that come up. And I do my best to uh, 
talk to them, get the information that's necessary, and then uh, hopefully um, be able to resolve it over the phone. It's, it's not always possible, but uh, a lot of times I can, I can get them going in the right direction and, and help them to resolve the issue. That's nice that you guys have that for people to be able to call in or email you or whatever, uh, you know, to get questions answered. That's pretty cool. That, yeah, that's, it, that's it, good to know, listeners. Yeah, it's it's necessary. And I I think that's one thing about my uh, position that I really do enjoy is if I can help people out and getting uh, an issue resolved. Um, you know, it, it, it happens where mistakes are made. And I don't think people make mistakes intentionally. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the knowledge. And that's where what you're, do, what you're doing and what I'm doing in educating people is going to help turn that tide. It's, it's not something that's going to occur overnight, but it needs to be done. I, I totally agree. That's why I, I do this. I, I like the podcast because it's that free medium to get education out to the pool operators, per, pool service professionals out there. What's nice about your podcast is it enables people that if they're busy, uh, when they're driving around, they can listen to it uh, yep. while they're working. And that's that's huge because I, everybody's busy nowadays. There's no question everybody's busy. And there's a lot of great podcasts. I totally agree. And I think that's why it's so popular in our pool, in the pool industry because we have mobile jobs and you're driving from place to place. But I think that's why a lot of people are in those type of jobs. They love working in the pool industry because you're not stuck behind a computer at a desk in an office with four walls. <coughs> love yeah. getting out. I mean, that's what I loved about my other job is I was out and about, got to talk to so many people, learn so much stuff from people out there, just even about general life, you know, just I talking to somebody. More. Yeah, that's, that's so true. i I love being outside, uh, you know, working and, and uh, now I get to do that and also uh, help people with what I've learned over the years. And I've been fortunate. I learned from some of the best. Uh, another person that helped in my knowledge base with Bob Lowry. There's uh, another name. Yeah. <laughs> great, yeah. great water chemistry people in the pool industry right there. I mean, yeah. those two it, names, if you don't know them, listeners, go look them up because they contributed so much to a lot of what we're learning now about water chemistry and then startups and everything else. So, yeah, they, they were, it was fun listening to the two of them when they were teaching their class and uh, going back and forth, discussing things. And unfortunately we don't have either of them now, but um, we have the memories and the knowledge that they gave us and their legacy will hopefully continue through other people like you at MPC and other people that were fortunate to have had training with them. Yeah. So let's get right into this. So why are startups important, Kent? Startups are very important because um, in the, from the very first moment when cement and water are mixed, a process called hydration starts and it continues for well past a year with pool plastering. Um, it, uh, the majority of the hydration is, is complete at 28 days, but it still continues past a year. And for that reason, the water chemistry is changing because it's in contact with that finish. And so with the water changing, it has to be balanced. And 
if that's done incorrectly, you're going to do two things. You're going to uh, damage that finish and you're, you're going to uh, have water that's very difficult to keep balanced. Uh, but if you follow a procedure, which the NPC has with their startup program, uh, we can show you exactly the steps, what day, when to do it, how to do it. It's very complete program. And when you follow that program, you can uh, be assured that your finish is going to last longer and the aesthetics are not going to be affected in an adverse way. Wow, that's amazing. And that's why I wanted you to be on here because the listeners really need to hear about this. This is very important. So what type of startups does the MPC uh, teach? We consider a traditional startup for pool finishes and each finish is a little bit different. And so you're going to have a little bit of a variance on the startup, but our startup program is, has been around for 33 years now and it's proven itself over time. And it's, it's for basic plaster and basic finishes that you do change the procedures just a little bit with where the parameters are kept as far as pH and alkalinity. But for the most part, it's, it's the same for most all of your finishes. It's considered a traditional startup. There are other startups out there in the industry that uh, uh, are available. Um, ours has been around for quite some time. It's proven itself over time. That's and like it's 33, that, 33 years is a long time. Yes. And it's referred to. Everybody says, oh, we did an NPC startup. Um, not to say that some of the other startups are bad. This is, this is what we have found to work. And it's been proven over time. So we would call it traditional. Right. And, and there's always variations on things that certainly can work and are great. It's, it's kind of a science of uh, pool water chemistry for startups. And, you know, as science, you can have other avenues that still work to get to the final destination that you're at. Yeah, and just, your, yours has been tested and proven over a long period of time. Yeah, versus some of the other ones that are newer, probably. Yeah, we've we've run this thing through thousands and thousands of pools, and uh, uh, if you follow the the directives uh, as stated, then you'll have good results. Each pool is different. I will say that because you have different things that affect your startup. One is the the finish itself. We talked about just a second ago. Also, the substrate and also your fill water, and the fill water is of utmost importance you have to know what is going into your pool before you put it in. And for that reason, we emphasize test the fill water and don't wait till it's full and you're there. If you know that you're going to do a startup, show up a couple of days early, a week early, whatever you can uh, manage and test it because that way you can come up prepared with what you need to get that startup going. If you, if you put yourself in a proactive situation, you're going to have much better results than being in a defensive mode where you find out the pool has been filled up. You test the fill water and it shows high metal content. Well, you're going to have metal stains. So you, you want to make sure that you're doing this prior to the pool being plastered so that you can make whatever preparations are necessary. And you can also alert the homeowner 
and the pool builder as to what what they're looking at. This is how I kind of put that when I used to work at the health agency. It's be proactive instead of reactive. Yes. So it's planning, planning ahead, plan anything turns out better if you plan ahead of time and know all the things that are going to come into play before you actually go out there. So same thing applies for these startups. It sounds like be proactive instead of reactive once you're there. Yep. Awesome. So I know you and I were chit-chatting before about uh, not during the episode, just general conversation, but wanted to kind of bring this up about, uh, you know, you got the new pool with the new plaster and that's certainly a startup, but resurfacing a pool is also falls under the startup procedures, correct? That's correct. Um, what's different with the remodel is, is the fact that you're um, dealing with an established pool and there's different ways of preparing that surface for the, the new, new finish that you're going to apply over it. There's bond coating, there's stripping, there's hydroblasting, and uh, all of them require certain procedures. But once that, those procedures are fulfilled and you put that new finish down, dealing with the water chemistry is, is basically the same on, on a remodel versus a new pool. Some of the uh, substrates, if they're, uh, say you have a lean mix, they're going to pull moisture out of that finish faster. So you may have issues in that respect. But basic water chemistry is, is uh, the same on your startup versus uh, new or replastering. So how long, like they say, it pulled, it's an existing pool, they resurfaced it. How long is it, should it be kept closed? I mean, I'm thinking public pools because that's what we would technically have. But telling the homeowner, don't go swimming, pool, I'll let you know when to go swimming in the pool. So we'll just call that it's closed, even though it's not closed like a public pool. What's the recommendation on that after a resurface and all that? Recommendation is, is nobody's in the pool, period, whether it's um, public pool or uh, residential. Nobody goes in until the water is balanced and sanitized. Balanced mean that your pH and alkalinity, calcium hardness are all under control. You have uh, chlorine in there for the sanitation purposes. Um, one of the things that I, I tell people is do not get pushed into a situation where you've, you've got two days to do a startup and then they want to have a party or they want to open the pool up for a uh, big holiday weekend don't get pushed into that situation plan ahead and, and don't allow it. If, if they're asking you to do a startup, find out when it's going to be plastered. And if there is a holiday coming up, let them know ahead of time that, Hey, I can't, I can't do this properly. It's, it's not safe to open the pool up. And <clears throat> one of the things that they can do to, to expedite um, balancing and sanitation purposes is to, to remove the dust with a vac head, a brush vac head, not a wheeled vac head. A brush vac head, if you pull the dust out um, <clears throat> with a vac system, a port-a-vac system, mm -hmm. uh, you can do it that way or you can run it through the, um, the established equipment area that's on site, but make sure that you clean that filter out so that the water doesn't continue to circulate through that filter with all of the calcium dust in it. The faster you get the dust out, the sooner you're going to achieve a balanced water condition. Mm -hmm. 
and then you're also going to have better efficacy of the chlorine with the balanced water. So those are the, the, the two things that we look at in opening a pool up is to make sure that it's balanced and sanitized. Awesome. And, and that sounds exactly like that falls into the realm of even pu- pu- for public pools, for our public health agencies that they want to make sure the chlorines where it's supposed to be and the pH is where it's supposed to be. And those are two common water balance uh, things right there are levels that they check that they could actually close a public pool for if they're not in the range within that code. So yeah, that, that's awesome. It, yeah. Your pH is going to change uh, quite a bit the first seven to 10 days after that, it'll, you can get it under control in seven to 10 days. Um, and it tends to rise, right? pH yes, tends to be yes. on the high end. So if we got a high pH and this it happens to be a public pool and you can't keep it in the range that the public health code for your local area wants, then it's basically per what you said should be closed until you can actually keep the pH and chlorine efficacy of the chlorine is based on high pH lowers activity of chlorine. So it's not as efficient at disinfecting the water. So that's why you guys are saying, you know, got to get the pH needs to be in range. Water needs to be balanced and then have chlorine disinfectant. But now the chlorine will actually be effective in the water at disinfecting and oxidizing now that you have a good pH. That's correct. And it just, it goes back to what we said earlier about prepare, being prepared. You're going to test your fill water prior to that. Make sure that it's planned for completion, which will allow you enough time uh, to get a um, balanced and sanitized situation before the pool is opened. And it's difficult because sometimes when it's a big weekend, you're going to find people swimming in that pool when you show up and uh, it's, it's difficult to get them out. So, Make sure, make sure that the uh, management company knows ahead of time that this is for their protection as well. So we mentioned water balance a l- little bit. So let's tell the audience a little bit. What is Langler Saturation <laughs> Index, which is water balance? Langler Saturation Index, LSI, uh, as it's called. Um, the LSI was, was created in 1936 by uh, Wilfred Langlier. And it was developed for municipal water management, uh, wastewater management. And it would, it would indicate if the water was one, corrosive, two, balanced, or three, scaling. And this has been adopted and changed a little bit um, to accommodate swimming pools. But it's a very good tool for <clears throat> figuring out where your water is at. And it's based, the LSI is based off of calcium carbonate saturation of the water. Okay, and the five parameters that are used to um, figure out the LSI on your water is pH, carbonate alkalinity, not total alkalinity. The, The LSI uses carbonate alkalinity only, which we'll go over here in a minute. Calcium hardness, TDS or total dissolved solids, and temperature. Temperature is huge when it comes to swimming pools. And this is something that we've learned over time, but you can take exact parameters on two different pools and change the temperature and it'll go from balanced to corrosive just 
based off of temperature. So you need to be aware of temperature as being one of those things that you have to uh, monitor to keep the water balanced. Um, even, even here in California where I'm at, uh, in the wintertime, water changes enough for it to be a factor. Uh, so make sure you're aware of that. <clears throat> it depends on where in the regionally in the country you are on how the temperature might affect it. Like Florida might be a little bit different because our water temperature probably doesn't dip low enough that it may have any effect on water balance like it does in other states. Correct. It, uh, it's something that the, when you learn how to master the LSI, you can, you can make adjustments with different parameters to, to uh, come about with a balanced endpoint. Um, but you have to be careful that you don't have one parameter that is outside of operational ranges, because if it is APSP or PHTA states that that negates the LSI. In other words, if you have very, very high calcium and then you're running low alkalinity, it'll balance out, but that's not the way to balance it. Um, <clears throat> you have to stay within the parameters The uh, each, the pH has to be within, uh, let's see, what is it? Seven, eight to eight, two. Um, yeah. Seven, seven point two to 7.8 with ideal being 7.4 to 7.6. That's it. Anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is that you have to be within those, that range for the LSI to be accurate. So if you are, you can make adjustments within that LSI to get balanced water. As long as you stay within the parameters though. Which temperature is one of those. Exactly. Yep. So when the water gets colder, you can make adjustments in some of the other parameters to balance it out. Yep. So you mentioned it. Let's go ahead and explain what is carbonate alkalinity or adjusted alkalinity? What is that to our audience? Carbonate alkalinity uh, is something that you need to familiarize yourself with because um, most pools, I say most, not all, but most pools operate with cyanuric acid in the water. And cyanuric acid is used to protect the chlorine from being oxidized by the sun. And uh, it's a necessary tool. And as the, the level of cyanuric acid rises, uh, your alkalinity changes. So Total alkalinity that you're used to testing for does not account for that cyanuric acid being in the water. So you have to do a calculation. And a uh, calculation is done um, based off of pH, the level of cyanuric acid in the water. And then you subtract that from the total alkalinity to give yourself a carbonate alkalinity reading. And is that's important. Is the general rule of thumb, you take a third of the cyanuric acid level and subtract it from the total alkalinity. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Now, why is this so important? Because if you're testing for just total alkalinity and you have, let's say your total alkalinity is 90 and you have a really high cyanuric acid, <clears throat> that's going to put your carbonate alkalinity at a lower level. And it can cause a dissolution of the calcium that's in your finish. And that will uh, be detrimental to the finish. 
that, that's a big that's a biggie right there for them to know it is and it's it's something that uh if if you're not good at working numbers there are apps that you can get for your cell phone that you can plug the homeowner's name in at the top and the different parameters and it'll figure up the lsi for you and what's nice about that is if you're out in the field, you can make adjustments to it real quick and save yourself some time. And if you're not sure what to adjust, you can play around with it a little bit and see which one works the best. Right. And a lot of those apps have this, you put the cyanuric acid level that you tested into it. So yes. I believe it's already built in doing that, subtracting the third of cyanuric acid from the total alkalinity you got on your test. And you put into the phone calculator. So all the math is kind of built into the phone app. And yes. then a lot of them where you can play around with like going from the left side or the rest, right side or whatever, the calculator to get, okay, this is what it is, but this is where I want to be. And you can change different factors until you get balanced water, make sure you're in your range, recommended ranges at the same time, like you said. So it's kind of fun. You don't have to actually do all these formulas and stuff. You just have to take your test kit, go test everything, yeah. put it in. And usually when I'm teaching classes, pretty much everybody now in the class will raise their hand when I ask, do you have a smartphone? I'd say about that's in the last year or so, but about two years or more, there'd still be somebody in the back of the room that has a flip phone. So they still have to do the math by hand. Wow. I didn't think there's, <laughs> there's so still some people that are refused to get a self like a Android or iPhone or anything like that. So they yeah. really, they really do help. And I know when you're running a route and you got to keep your time to a minimum, this tool will help you do that and and it'll help you establish um <clears throat> there's when your ph and your your chemistry is up and down up and down uh it's hard to get it balanced this tool will help you do that and make it much easier for you to manage the water and you'll get better results so look into it they're they're available they like they say they have an app for everything Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Checking LSI on your pool. So great tools that we're giving the listeners here to make their life a little bit easier so yes. that they can focus in on these startups the right way. There you go. So, so tell me, why is brushing the pool so important for startups? <clears throat> well, let me start by saying that our startup card says that you need to brush the pool twice a day. Twice a day because it, what that does is the dust that has settled on the surface of the plaster, um, that's if you have a plaster finish. Um, if it's allowed to settle and it's not brushed, it will stick and it'll carbonate. And then it's very, very difficult to remove. In fact, you would have to drain the pool probably and, and polish it off to... Uh, to get a sufficient removal to where your client would be happy. Now, that being said, if you brush back and remove 90% of the dust, it's still necessary to brush that pool. And this, this came abundantly clear to me when I started doing inspections. And I have a camera that I use underwater that magnifies things like 44 times. That's and cool. You, yeah. And, and, and when you have a, a plaster job that is smooth 
it looks smooth, it feels smooth, and you take a picture of it magnified, it looks like the moon because there's these little crevices everywhere in the plaster. And what happens with those crevices is dust and dirt will settle there. So it's easy as a service tech to walk in the backyard and look the pool over and say, hmm, looks pretty good. And you don't brush it. It's critically important in the first month that you brush that thing at least uh, while you're doing the startup, you want to do it, brush it every time you're there. And then as you get the dust out, maybe you can back off to once a week, but it does need to be done. You need to brush the pool down because anything that falls into the pool will stick to it at some point. And then you start getting discoloration and that's when you start getting questioned by the homeowner. So brushing the pool is very, very important. And one of the tricks that, that is ignored is uh, in areas such as the steps and in the spa where the benches and the walls meet, yep. that radius area, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's a corner brush that you can buy. And it's designed to hit those areas. And if you want to see a, a, the difference, you can, you can see it in a pool that the guy did not use a, a, a corner brush because that dust is still there. As hard as you try, you can't get all of the dust out with your normal brush. What is a normal brush with startup? It's a nylon brush. Do not use a stainless steel. Do not use a combination brush. Use your nylon brush. That finish is still fresh and it's still soft, even though it's, it, it is hard, but it's soft enough to where you can damage it. And when you are brushing the pool, make sure that you don't put enough pressure, put too much pressure on it where the bristles collapse and then the frame digs into the surface. You don't want to get too aggressive with the brushing because that can happen. Um, so be very careful that you don't collapse those bristles while you are brushing. Very intricate when we, you know, people think brushing, but this is like the specific way of doing it for a startup and yes. the specific type of brush to use, which is interesting. They do have a lot of different types out on the market now, and some of them are designed for doing startups. Um, can't name any brand names, but I think if you go out and you look at some of the wholesale houses where you would buy your brushes, you can find quite an assortment. Just make sure that you're uh, using a nylon one for the first 30 days. Awesome. So what, what about documentation for startups? Nobody likes to do this. <laughs> it's, it's more work. But, but, it's, but it's important. Oh, it's so very, very important. As you stated, everybody has a phone. So the first thing that you do when you walk on the job is you start taking pictures. Take pictures of every part of the pool. If you see something specific that looks out of place, make sure that you take a picture of it and put, put these pictures in a file. Because if you come up onto the job and you see something that doesn't look right, you take pictures, you send them to the builder, send them to the homeowner and say, this isn't right. And you can decide at that point whether or not you want to proceed. And if they say, okay, well, what do you need to do to alleviate this problem? Write it down, send it to them in an email. Don't just tell them over the phone. An email can be traced. So always correspond with the client, whether it's the pool builder or the homeowner 
or the plaster or all of them. Make sure that you document everything that you send out. Okay. Voicemails. No, please document it with an email or even a text will work. <clears throat> now you want to do a day by day recording of where the different parameters are at your pH, your total alkalinity, total alkalinity on startups, carbonate alkalinity after you put the cyanuric in. We just talked about carbonate versus total. On a startup, it's going to be total alkalinity until you put the cyanuric in. So you're going to, you're going to document your pH, total alkalinity, and your calcium hardness. Okay. <clears throat> Day one, you write the parameters, the numbers in from your testing and what you did. Brush this, did that, clean the filter. You document all of this because it's only going to benefit you uh, if if uh, an issue arises, you have records of what you did. Now, the records should also include what you added each day when you adjust the different parameters, okay? If it's muriatic acid, if it's sodium bicarbonate, whatever it is you add, you add what you, you put that into the documentation. And the other important thing is on this sheet, you're gonna have the homeowner's name and address. Also have the volume of the pool up there because you cannot do accurate testing or, or adjustments, chemical adjustments without the volume. So make it convenient, measure it one time and then put it on the form so that you have it there. And then you can take your book and look it up in the back on the tables and you'll know what the dosage should be. If you're gonna use the app that we were talking about, again, they're gonna ask for volume because it's based off of that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And a lot of those apps do have you put the volume in when you're yeah. doing LSI, because a lot of them will do dosing as well. Yes. You have a dosage calculator connected to it, but it's based on the readings that you put in and the readings that you're gonna to go to in the app based on making the water balanced. So yes. that, now, that's the neat thing about a lot of those apps out there. Yes. Now, in continuing on the documentation, when you're done, you need to do a final walkthrough with the homeowner. Say, hey, how does the pool look? Take pictures of it. Take pictures of them standing beside the pool. Looking happy, hopefully. Exactly. <laughs> you have the homeowner being there, okay? Because otherwise they're going to say, oh, you took these pictures. I wasn't here. I didn't see that. Exactly. The other thing that you can do is if your phone does not put a date and timestamp on it, there's an app. <laughs> there you go. An app that will, if you take pictures through the app, it will give you all of that information, the address, the city, the time of day, the month, everything. So make sure that you're doing this because this way you're protecting yourself, but also just as important, the homeowner's going to look at this and say, wow, this guy's really professional. Mm -hmm. They're going to re recommend you to other people. And some people have learned this lesson of how to do a startup correctly and then charge for it. You can make money at it. And when you're doing such a good job, you're going to pay it. Yes. And I just had another... Value. 
Yeah, I just had another podcast episode where we even talked about what you look like, what your truck looks like when you pull up. So the documentation is the same thing. We're going to add that into the mix now from not just what you're wearing and what you're driving, but also what you're providing to the customer, what they see you doing while you're there is going to set you aside. And that make it sets up our profession and brings it up and professionability to customers out there because they have that general thought of what the industry is. So I totally agree with that. And then at the same time, it's also that legal liability and everything you document the right way. If they come back and they sue you for whatever damage to their, you're going to have all this great documentation that your lawyer is going to have to show when you go to court. So you guys you got to think about all that, guys. I, I worked in for the Department of Health and we had to cross our T's and dot our I's because we couldn't take anybody to an environmental control hearing board unless we could prove everything, take pictures of what it was, all that good stuff. So totally with you on the documentation there. Yeah. And the last thing that you want to do with the documentation, the final day, on that final day of the walkthrough, you're, you're going to test the water right in front of them. And you're going to write down what the parameters are at that day and then have them sign it. Okay. You sign it, they sign it. Now, if you do this, chances are they're going to say, this guy's professional and it's going to deter them from saying, I'm going to sue this guy because you have everything documented. Exactly. It's protection and it's, it's promoting yourself as a true professional, which is important. Yes, totally agree. As Lauren says, you're going to elevate your image and also the industry's image in the eyes of the public. And that's, that's what we all want. All the listeners want that. So that's definitely important. So I know we talked on and touched on this a little bit. Didn't know if you want to elaborate more about water temperatures effect on, on water balance. Some of you, uh, like in Lauren's neighborhood, in Florida, it's it's not as big of an issue. But if you're in areas, temperate areas, where the, the water temperature is going to drop in the wintertime, not to the point where it's freezing, that's a whole nother ball of wax there. But water temperature does affect your LSI. So you want to make sure that you're aware of it. And if nothing else, to prove it to yourself, run some some numbers and you'll see just how much it does affect. In our startup class, we do a couple of those uh, on the screen for you. And, and it's, people are amazed when they see how much it can change uh, the values. Um, so it's something that you can't ignore. When it starts to cool off, you're going to have to make some adjustments. And if you're not real savvy with uh, the LSI doing it yourself, get one of these apps and, and it'll do it for you and you can play around with it. It's, it's a very good tool. All right. Our short intermission. So I can introduce our other new brand new podcast sponsor, pool parts to go. If you type that in their website, poolpartstogo.com, you're going to come to their website and they sell so many different things through their website for pool professionals. They sell the brushes, their their special brushes, the round, kind of round, long ones that fit into gutters, those tough gutters and stuff. Those are pretty cool that they sell there, and they will be on a future podcast 
showing and talking about those. So check out Pool Parts to Go. And I want to say thank you for being a sponsor of the Let's Talk About Pools podcast. So go to PoolPartsToGo.com. Thank you so much, guys. So why is testing, I know we touched on this earlier as well, but we'll probably elaborate a little bit more. Why is testing the source or fill water uh, so important for startups? This is something that nobody, I, I shouldn't say nobody, Let, let's rephrase that. A lot of people ignore it. Ah, it's just water. It's just, it's tap water. Okay. Tap water in and of itself is not the best for swimming pools. It's, it's developed or it's designed or created, whichever term you want to use, by the water districts for use as potable water, but it still needs to be managed for swimming pools. Now, let's start with soft water. A lot of people have soft water in their homes. A lot of people have those whole house filtration systems, and that's great for the house. <laughs> it's great for drinking, but it's the worst thing in the world for a swimming pool, uh, especially a new finish. Um, when you put a water supply that is calcium deficient, in other words, let's say the calcium hardness coming out of the tap is 10 parts per million, it will seek equilibrium when you put it in the pool. And when you have a finish that is calcium rich and calcium deficient water, it will pull the calcium right out of the finish. So that's something that needs to be stopped because you will get discoloration to the surface that can't be fixed. <clears throat> um, just as important, um, you can have low pH. Uh, first, the very first inspection I did was in Beverly Hills, California. And I tested this, the, the, the water and it's, the pH came back at 6.9. Three, three times. And I called Greg Garrett up. <laughs> I said, Greg, I'm on an inspection. He says, okay, where are you at? I said, Beverly Hills. He <laughs> says, oh, pH is around 6.8, 6.9. Because Greg had a photographic memory. If you, if you knew Greg, he could remember everything he ever laid eyes on from, from 20, 30 years ago. Anyway, the point is, you don't know what's in there unless you test. You can have high metal. You can have low pH. <clears throat> These are things that you find out when you test the fill water. And you're not going to know unless you do. So here's, here's the analogy I give people. If you have a glass of water or a glass of clear liquid sitting on the table and you have right next to it a bottle, a sealed bottle of drinking water, if you were thirsty and you just walked into the room and you didn't know it was in the glass, which one would you choose for drinking? Probably you would choose the bottle. the bottle of water, obviously. Yeah, because you don't know what's in that glass. Right. So if you don't know what you're putting into the pool, you're put back into a reactive position. To your point, Lauren, you're in a reactive position instead of proactive. 
you test it in advance and you'll know, well, I, I need to put a sequestering in here. I need to do this. I have to have sodium bicarb. I have <clears throat> come prepared and the, your results are going to be tenfold better than if you're not prepared. So outside of checking the normal water chemistry things that any of the main test kits can check for, what else should they be checking the fill water for? It sounds like they should be checking for metals in the water. Metals, yeah, metals. Uh, some people don't like to deal with phosphates. So that's something that you might want to look at. Um, there's this thing called iron bacteria. I don't know if it's prevalent down in Florida, but uh, it, it shows up in, in areas of Oklahoma, Texas, um, Mississippi, um, a few other areas. <clears throat> Iron bacteria is weird because it'll stain your finish and you can remove it and it'll come back in the exact same place, exact same size and configuration. And you'll say, I thought I got rid of it. Yeah. You'll get rid of it again and it'll come back. So there are ways to treat that. I can't name the company, but there's a company that has something that'll treat that. But if you test for it, you're not going to have those issues. And, and if you have low calcium fill, um, you're going to be able to be prepared, uh, knowing that calcium is going to have to be added. There's just... Um, too many things that can trip you up by not testing the fill water. Right. Cause you may not have everything you need there to when you're filling up that day, yep. start fixing things. So testing the fill water is, is absolutely very, very, very important. It's at the top of the list of how to be prepared, know what you're going to be putting in. Okay. Even if it's a pebble surface, which is more durable, it can still be affected by your source water. So make sure that you're testing it. Um, and it's, if you're busy, I understand that, but you factor in the number of trips that you're going to be making, one to test the water, one to uh, how many days you're going to be there, how much, the, if you test the fill water, you're going to know <clears throat> how much it's going to take to get that stuff adjusted, the water adjusted, how much bicarb you're going to need, how much muriatic, you can kind of project what your costs are going to be. So this is a benefit to you, not only to protect the surface, but also to protect your wallet. You'll know ahead of time, if you test the fill water, what you're going to be up against, and then you can price your startup accordingly. Which you want to be accurate on that, especially right now with everything. Everything's going up. Price of everything is skyrocketing. And if you're, if you're looking at uh, number of trips, you can calculate that because gas is going up. But if you, if you test the fill water and you know what you're going to need, that's going to eliminate another trip of coming back because you don't have what you need. So it protects the homeowner, protects you, and it protects your wallet. Awesome, awesome. So checking your reagents, how important is that? <laughs> yeah, I knew that was going to get a laugh. I, I did a little experiment uh, about three, four weeks ago. And I, I drove around the area that I live in and uh, I bought reagents from a lot of the different supply places, some retail, some, some wholesale, just to see how many of them 
<laughs> we're outside of the expiration date. <laughs> what perce- what percentage? 40. 40%. 40 of the reagents that I bought that day were, were outside of the expiration date. And this is something that nobody checks. They just, yeah, give me this, this, and this, and they take off. And then they wonder why their calculations are off. Um, oh, we could get into how they store their test kit too. Oh, we should. We Te- should. Te- temperature, big yes. deal, especially on the high end more than I think it is on the low end. Yes. How many people are actually testing pool water below, I think it's what, 36 degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah, you're not going to get accurate. It's really that 85, 86 degrees, I think that they say anything above. How many, when I teach a class before I even get to that slide, because I don't want them to see the slide, I go, raise your hand if you store your test kit here. And I get hands kind of, they're getting an idea that they don't want to raise it, but they do because they don't know why yet. Then I, if I got maintenance guys, I'll ask them about their chemical room or, but for pool service listening here, it's going to be, if you keep it on your pool vacuum tray, which is where it usually is yep. out in direct sunlight and it's a hot summer day. Most of the country gets really hot. So it's out there all the time or in the back of your truck, in the back of your trailer. It should be really in the cab of the vehicle with you. Even if there's no air conditioning, at least it's shaded and it's not going to be as hot. Don't keep it there when you're done for the day. So it's out all night in the, you know, higher temperatures, which is possible. This is my big recommendation to listeners. And I want to see if you agree with me. And it's get a little mini cooler that you can put a couple cold packs in. And even if they don't stay really cold all day, it's still going to be cold enough to keep you below 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Even if it's 50 or 60, that's fine. Keep the test kit there. And then it's not in direct sunlight either. Then it can be in the back of your truck or trailer. And then you take it out. I know it's not as convenient, but see, those are the corners that people cut, right? that make their water testing inaccurate and that can affect their startups. Absolutely. Um, Those are all good points that you brought up. Um, They are affected by temperature and out where I live in the summertime, we see temperatures of 120 or higher. And I was driving down the road one day and I look in front of me and there's a service truck had two carts on the back bumper and two test kits with the lids ripped off Mm -hmm. so that your reagents are getting baked Mm -hmm. all day, every day. And they're inaccurate when that happens. And, and it's, it's just your job as a pool professional is to be accurate. What's the point of testing if you're not going to be accurate? Correct. I've seen people go up and they'll drop, um, The uh, chlorine reagent and drop no, wise we'll in the-, the pH reagent. They'll just drop it in the pool and say, oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've heard that. that-, that- oh, you can do that. I'm like, no. Uh, yeah. And so look, it, it's not the way to do it. It's a specific okay. water sample size you got to have when you're doing that number of drops per the re- it, I When I teach it, teach it like it's a recipe. When you're doing your water testing, it's like a recipe for cooking. If you you don't stick to the exact recipe, it affects the end result that you get. 
Here's the other thing that you need to check on your reagents. Um, everybody assumes that since they come from a big manufacturer that they're going to be dead on accurate. They're not. It's very, very rare that it happens, but it happens enough to where you should be checking your reagents against a known standard and, and tailor for one. I use Taylor kit. So <clears throat> I use the Taylor stand, known standards and you use those standards as your pool water and you run the test the same way you normally would. And if it says the pH is supposed to be 7.2 and you do the test with that reagent um, and that known source water, not source water, excuse me, known standard, you put that in the, in the test and you, you test it for pH. And if it comes out at 7.2, your reagent's good. If it's high, you need to mark down that it, that's a little bit high. You can still use that reagent as long as it has not been cooked by the sun and it's not past expiration. Even though it's off a little bit, if you note that, you can still use it so you don't have to throw it away. But you do need to test it to make sure that they are what they say they are, okay? It almost sounds like uh, be decent for situations with startups to have like a photometer or even the, the fancy one that we won't say the name on, the one that costs like eight, $900. It sounds like, I know you don't want, they're expensive, even the discs that go in it, that you wouldn't want to use it on every single pool in your service department. But startups are kind of special. It almost sounds like you could use that to kind of compare to your, your regular manual test that you do too. It might be a good, do you agree? I do. And, and keep in mind that um, there's all kinds of test equipment out there. Yep. You have to find one that works for you. The nice thing with photometers, I believe they remove the, how we see color differences out of the equation. So at least yeah. it's get, taking that inaccuracy out. And that's the only reason why I say, I think startups is a great specialty item that you're not doing every single pool your service tech goes to isn't a startup. You wouldn't want to use a photometer on regular service. Just use your other manual test kit for that. But this yeah. would be like that special one, like the pool that you have algae in every single time and you're trying to figure it out. Maybe use a photometer like that to test for specialty items like that. Reduce the cost down, you know, on the, on the discs Just and that kind of thing. Make sure that any type of meter that you use, that you keep it clean and calibrated. Yep. Uh, because if you don't, you're, you're back to square one. You have an inaccurate way of testing. Um, one quick note also, um, strips cannot be used for startups. Um, everybody likes them because they're quick and easy and they're cheap, but... Uh, especially with calcium, uh, the strips will test for total hardness, which includes magnesium. And we're supposed to be testing for calcium only, calcium hardness only. So I would suggest that you do not use strips um, for startups. Uh, that's, that's a good one. That's a good tidbit for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. All these little things are going to get here as they're listening. It's, it's great. So why is the dilution of chemicals so important for startups? Number one, um, if, if you're pouring it direct 
pouring your chems directly into the pool. Um, it's the dilution. What it does is it starts off by spreading the chems out to where they're uh, easierly, much easier to distribute. To distribute evenly throughout the pool. If you take and you uh, add muriatic acid straight to a pool. The specific gravity of muriatic acid is heavier than water. So it Takes sinks it down, down to the bottom, sinks to the bottom. And it'll sit there unless you go in and brush. That's the other thing a lot of guys don't do when they add chems. You need to dilute it to be safe, number one. And you always add chems to water. Yep. Okay. Take a five-gallon bucket, fill it up half full of water, add your chems to it, stir it, and then walk around the perimeter, pouring it in carefully so that it distributes it throughout the pool. And then you need to brush it so it doesn't settle at the bottom. And this is the best way to ensure that one, the chemicals get distributed throughout the pool, especially if you have a pool that doesn't circulate well. Some of the older pools, that's the case. So this is even more important on these older pools. Um, and then you, you brush it to, to send it everywhere. Um, it's also done for safety reasons. Um, if, if you're handling muriatic acid, you drip it on the deck, you're going to, to uh, stain that deck and homeowner's not going to be too happy with you if that's the case. So make sure that you're, you're careful in handling your chems um, and do not mix chems in the same bucket no that is that we could have a whole osha top topic oh, just yes. on that we yes. could be talking about hazardous materials for a while here yeah these chems that you're using to adjust water chemistry um if they're combined can be very you can have grave Dan dangerous be yeah. dangerous yeah health-wise so, or splashback burns anything like that yep Yep. I know that the, when the fire departments out here where I'm at, they show up on an accident and it comes across the radio as a pool service truck. They're nervous because you have chemicals that may have mixed on the job site. So uh, you have to be very, very careful. Do not become um, relaxed or too confident or too lazy in the way you handle chems. They can hurt you. They can hurt um, your customer's investment. So treat them with respect and don't get too uh, cavalier with it. It's something that you need to be very careful with. And I hope like that accident, they had their SDS sheets available for, uh, oh, for, yes. the, for the people, EMS showing up. Great. Yes, <laughs> sheets. You guys need to carry those in your truck because... If you are, let's say you're involved in an accident um, <clears throat> and you're knocked unconscious and the fire department shows up, they're going to look for SDS sheets. And that tells them exactly what chems are there. It tells them how to handle the spills. And most importantly, how to handle you if you are exposed to those mixed fumes. Exactly. And a lot of people so, do, just 
take it so for granted when they're driving around and you have a unique workplace when you're a pool service professional in a vehicle and you're dr- you're not just storing hazardous chemicals in a room somewhere now or a warehouse or whatever now you're driving around with it so yes. that's the big deal that the industry needs to look at when we're talking about handling of chemicals like you said it's not some haphazard truck and and then when you're adding it for your startups like you said you got to keep that all in mind yeah and and it's it's not that hard to do um Mm -hmm. you can download these off the internet uh put them in a plastic sleeve and then put it in a binder and put sds on the outside of that binder and and the fire department will know what that is just leave it someplace where they can see it and you're going to be helping them to help you. So, um, they're what they used to be called MSDS sheets. And I learned this one at a class I took fairly recently that if you put M on there and OSHA is somehow involved with this investigation, they can actually cite you for having the M on there instead of just SDS. Because they're not MSDS sheets anymore. They took the M off. They're just SDS sheets now. It's weird. Yeah. They could cite you just for that one thing, let alone anything else that they want while they're there that caused any issue to an employee. Didn't know that either until I was at a class recently. So final question for you, Kent, is um, talking about circulation and filtration equipment and the functionality of it before plastering. So let's talk about that. Okay. The circulation and filtration equipment are of paramount importance on a startup um, because what you're doing is you're filtering out impurities that may blow in. You don't want those to, to become stuck on the surface. So they're getting filtered out. Circulation of the water helps distribute the chemicals that you're adding uh, to the pool so that you get better distribution. And the filtration thing, uh, I can't emphasize that enough, that if you're going to vac the dust out of that thing, out of the pool into their filter, you need to clean that filter uh, at least at the end of that 10-day period and maybe one more time before you leave because all of that dust that you're putting into that filter will affect the water chemistry as it rolls through the filter. And so it'll make it harder for you to adjust your water chemistry. Now, when you go to test the fill water and inspect the site, make sure that that equipment is on site, hooked up, (laughs) and it's energized. Because I have seen so many pools that have sat for three, four weeks. The equipment was there, but there was no power because the, uh, the power company never came out to hook it up, and uh, they were too busy. So that water sat stagnant, and you'll get calcium crystals developing on the surface, and it'll be rough like you can't believe, and it's, it's going to damage the surface. So make sure this is another reason to pre-site. You can test the fill water. You can check to make sure the equipment's in good working order, especially if it's a remodel, you want to see that everything works. Um, And also on new construction, make sure that everything is hooked up and that it's energized because otherwise you're stuck 
holding the bag, so to speak, when you show up and do your startup. Well, I can't do a, a proper startup because of this. Well, why didn't you tell us that in the first place? Well, didn't have a chance to talk to you. These are, this is a reason why you want to be in a proactive situation. Go out, see what the situation is all about. And make sure that everything is the way it should be so you're not um, hampered by different factors that are going to make it difficult for you to do a proper startup. Because if you start on a startup, it now becomes yours. And if the, the issue is no power, well... You should have you should have let them know prior to taking the job on and commencing with that startup. Once you take it on, you're doing the work, it becomes yours. So make sure that in advance, you know what the situations are. If you if you can't uh, get out there, just make a simple phone call and ask, is the equipment in? Is it set up? Is it energized? These are things that will help you do a better job and look more professional. Um, and again, if you're doing this in advance, the homeowner's thinking, yeah, maybe this was a good move going with this guy. He charges a little bit more, but he's he's ahead of the game. He's looking ahead. He's making sure that everything is, is, is covered. And you give them a comfort level that that is, when you sell value and then you follow through with it, there's nothing better. They're going to love you. So make sure that your filtration and circulation equipment is working. Um, how many times have you shown up and the pump doesn't work and they say, oh, well, it worked before. <laughs> all too many quite times. a bit. All too many times. So you want to make sure that it is working. Um, maybe it it sat dry for a long time and it seized up. I don't know. Um, maybe the filter leaks like crazy. Uh, I did an inspection um, in Orange County where the filter was leaking like crazy and they couldn't keep the water balanced. I went, went out to do the inspection and I looked at the filter and it was just mud everywhere. I said, well, this is part of the reason you're having trouble keeping the water balanced. Um, this is why, you want to be proactive. You're setting yourself up for success and not failure. It's much easier to explain why you're doing it instead of, well, this is the problem. Um, this is something that I've learned over the years that you're, you're much better off uh, telling them this is what I'm going to do. We're going to make sure everything is working and thus you're going to have a good startup and you'll get that finish off to a good start. And more than likely, you'll pick that up as an account if it's not already your, your account because you've done such a good job with the startup. They figure, how can we go wrong uh, using this guy for continued service? Right. So, and I mean, so many pool service companies are doing startups for pool builders um, as we have so many pools, especially in the Sunbelt states going in the ground right now than we've ever seen before. So what they people have learned in the industry, one good way without buying a pool route is to try to hook up with a pool builder and you're going to do their startups. That's what we've been talking about, guys, is doing these startups correctly so that you can hold on to those customers because if you do a good job in that first 28 to 30, 30 days with the startup, then they're going to professional, 
walking in, being proactive instead of reactive, everything we talked about in this podcast episode, it's going to help you have a better and successful business. So doing a good job on what we just talked about is really going to keep dollars in your pocket at the same time and give you a good reputation. And I know that's what matters for people too. So if that's how we want to put it, then that's, you know, what, if you want to keep in the back of your mind, happier customer, you still have your paycheck from that customer coming in. So all of it, you know, it starts from the startup if you're doing those, even a resurface, as we said earlier. So great yeah. episode. This is a great episode to have had you on, Kent, because I, this needs to be talked about more in the forefront, I believe, you know, because we have so many pools going in the ground right now. Well, I, I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you, Lauren. I, um, I know that you've worked hard for many years to educate the, uh, the industry and the public and also to protect them by doing inspections. Um, it's what's necessary. And I, I would just say to your audience that startups are, are not overly difficult. Some bigger pools can present certain types of problems. You're welcome to call me if you have questions. Um, you can reach me through the NPC. Um, I'm here to help. And uh, if you would like to sign up for our startup class, we're starting to do more live classes, but we also have an online class, which might suit your needs better. But uh, either way, um, look at startups as another way to uh, put a little more money in your pocket. Once you learn how to do them, they're not that difficult. And uh, it'll... It'll elevate you in the eyes of your client and also your peers. I, I've listeners, I've taken the startup class. I did the virtual because I wasn't able to try, and it was during COVID, like a year ago. So I and there was no like in person classes. I but I still really wanted to get the certification. So you don't have to be a member of MPC in order to take the class. Um, there's not a big difference in price, so it you can do it as a non member if you want without becoming a member. Correct, Kent? Yes. And I highly recommend it um, if you're going to be doing any startups for pool builders or handling resurface remodels and stuff like that, because it's going to teach you what you need to know to keep things right, not have issues with the pool surfaces and have issues with your customers. So, I mean, it's definitely why we wanted to bring you on, Kent, to the podcast so that we could give them some really good information, but you will learn what he's talked about in this episode in great detail, if you get that certification. So I highly recommend it. I've taken it myself. Thank you, Lauren. We appreciate the opportunity to speak to your uh, listeners. Thank you so much for being on today. Thanks for diving in today with the Let's Talk About Pools podcast. Be sure to follow us on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. And feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so more aquatic professionals like you can learn about the show. We appreciate it, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Let's Talk About Pools podcast.